0: hi, hello. This is join the party where we are starting a brand new campaign. Are we ready Whoa. for campaign three? Ah! Ah! Yeah. Ah!
1: That was both terrified scream and excited scream. Ah,
2: if you're new to join the party, we scream a lot.
3: <laughs> we're screamers, <laughs>
0: baby. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. I stand by it. <laughs> is, this what, is this the new energy? Is this what we're doing? I think so.
2: Because, you know, we're we're rooting and tooting when we're out here, uh, out on the high seas. Because campaign three, we're doing pirates, baby. What? What? <laughs> what? Brandon, <laughs> you knew the whole time. I did know the whole time.
0: We we did talk about it, but saying it on microphone is is a whole another thing. Yeah, I
2: have a lot written down, and I wanted to do an episode where I tell you all things you don't know, Ooh. so we get I get your true reactions. But I also want to like set the scene of what we all know together to Start of like what's what things we throw in the big stew that comes together for a campaign when you do something like stew. you talk about it and it is intentionally put together.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm into
0: yeah. that. Yeah, we had a meeting a few months ago where we talked about what's important to us, what we are interested in, what we will be stoked to do in campaign three.
2: We remember we started this all the way back when we were planning the campaign, too. Yeah, we were still deciding whether or not we wanted to run a game of. Dungeons and Dragons again, or a different one, and then, like, Monster of the Week attached to summer camp, and that came out of that. So we had written down all these ideas. Didn't you just look up what date that thing was? Wasn't it, like, November 2021? It was. Oh, my God. So we've been kicking around these ideas for quite a long time. I can't remember who wanted what, but I feel like all three of you
0: wanted we something. Do. We do. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Julia, you go first. You knew exactly what you wanted. Well, your
3: girl wanted pirates, and your girl got pirates, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brandon, how about you? What
1: did you want? I think I suggested like Red Wall slash James of the Giant Peach slash that kind of like uh, small animal thing. Yeah. There's like a,
2: a bucolic fantasy is kind of how I put it together, like animals and, you know, feeling like your things are large as you're doing it, I think, starting a fantasy world. Also, Brandon told us, he demanded that it was claymation and <laughs> he's replaced by Michael Chiklis, who's mm, going to be playing, mm-hmm. uh, playing on our thing. So this is Brandon's last episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm guys. really
3: excited to meet Michael Chiklis, though. He
0: seems like a cool dude. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To, can I tell you, he only wants to play a guy with a shield.
0: Yeah. Huh. Interesting. It's actually still voiced by Brandon, but um, mo capped by Jenkins. <laughs> oh that makes so, sense. Check so it checks yeah. out. Yeah. Our budget's a little bit higher this season. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really interested in a kind of like, I don't know, a frontiers narrative or like a kind of Wild West vibe, but that wasn't wrapped up in like colonization. So it's it's a delicate balance to strike. But something that was really interesting to me is the idea of not having a home base. I think we did that so well in Lake Town City and even now in the campaign and to lost lesser extent in campaign one as well. But I, I like the idea of kind of being on the move of having a, a ship or a fleet or a truck, Mad Max. Like I wasn't sure exactly what form I was most interested in, but I like the idea of us being permanently mobile and not kind of having a a home that we know really well.
2: Love it. Amanda, is it okay that I'm going to say that we're doing the exact opposite of what you of what you wanted? Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, just letting you know. <laughs> I, I want everyone to know, I did take in what Amanda said, and I didn't just say, no, but we'll talk about that.
0: But listen, I mean, I, I, that's what I appreciate about this process, is all of us were saying, like, hey, these are things we're interested in. Also, Eric, you're the one who has to make it, so, like, tell us yeah. what you're interested yeah. in also. Yeah. And, you know, now we have a fun mix of, like, Eric kind of gave us the broad strokes, and we all said, Love it. And now we get to hear details about what this world's going to be. Yes. Yeah.
2: So bringing together all that stuff, the the pirates, Amanda's, like, idea. You know, like, here's the thing. Cowboys are just dry pirates. That's what <laughs> I've always said. Yeah.
3: yeah. Famously, famously. Yeah.
2: yeah, Because it's like you have a caravan or you have a ship. And you have stuff that you can move around. But I think that and Amanda brought up that idea of like having a home base. And what does that mean necessarily? I think we've had like ambiguous home bases before, especially campaign one and two. Campaign one was like the castle in Fidopolis and then Dr. Morrow's house in campaign two. But like that wasn't like there weren't any mechanical things behind it. It just was kind of the the clubhouse, the place where you all hung out. So I started thinking about all that stuff. So, would you like to hear the
1: introduction to our world here?
0: Yes, please. Yes, please.
1: Okay. I was gonna make a joke about um, me thinking that Julia meant internet pirates, um, (laughs) but the moment's been lost.
2: (laughs) No, Brandon,
1: edit it in. Gone to
0: time. You can say internet pirates are just two D pirates.
2: Brandon, you wouldn't download a campaign. That's what I was waiting for.
0: (laughs) Our (laughs) listeners would. Hey, they're downloading a
2: campaign right now. Right now. Okay. Here we go. Welcome to Verda Stello, Ooh. V-E-R-D-A, space, S-T-E-L-L-O, Ooh. The Great Green Ringed World. Ooh. Ooh. This fantastical land is populated by approximately human-sized plant and bug people. Yay! <laughs> Of course, we can give or take the two foot tall little fruit folk who are running around, and the giant vine grates that are b- beeping and bopping all over the place. Mm. You know, I think t- two to ten feet—anything within the medium sizing of Dungeons and Dragons. We're also playing Dungeons and Dragons, but we're going to come back to that in a second. Oh, the plant and bug people—we're calling them the Green Folk.
0: Yay! Yay! Folk? Yes. Green Folk. Julie, I think we went to high school with Vertistello. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an Italian name. Yeah, she lived she
2: she lived near the tracks. She she hosted us all for Feast of Seven Fishes. <laughs> there are four species of green folk. Flowers, produce, greenery, and bugs. Just to give a quick description of what these folks might might look like. Uh, the flowers might be a bunch. Or a bloom of flowers, maybe something like a wildflower, like Phlox. A bouquet, mm-hmm. either like a bouquet or a bush of a it. Cluster, yeah, cluster. Or it could be like the sunflower from Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like flower, stem, body. You know, everyone I think has is vaguely um, humanoid in mm-hmm. uh, this way, like two hands, two feet, upright. But again, we can we can be incredibly flexible on this. This is just like general uh, ideation of this. So flowers it could be a bouquet or a, a cluster. Or just one flower. Produce, I think in my head was mostly the fruit or vegetable. It's not head. It's like full body. So like imagine like a big apple person with like a little hand, a
1: little head, a little foot, a little foot and a face somewhere on
0: it. Oh my gosh. Big melon, big melon, big melon.
1: Yeah. But now I just imagined a man with an apple head and it's very funny.
0: (laughs) Oh, also very funny it's like saying don't think of an elephant like now Brandon is just gonna think of a man with an apple head exactly
2: (laughs) but what if the man was full apple what if he was only apple and I know that's that's what haunts you oh Eric
1: that's much better
0: (laughs) there's that painting you can look at that's like that
2: when Brandon gets sleep paralysis there's a big apple with a face sitting (laughs) in the chair of his bed that's true so yeah, it could be fruit, veggie, anything that has some sort of, I mean, I, I'm i not gonna, there's no distinction. There's no gender of fruit and vegetable. It's just, <laughs> it is what it is here. Greenery is truly all over the place. Yep. <laughs> However, you can slap some limbs onto whatever plant you envision, uh, whether they're vines or grasses or anything. Just put a little face on there and you're good to go. And then, of course, the bugs are based off of bugs themselves, though they can have plant-like features mm. uh, with sprouts or grasses or any sort of greenery kind Ooh. of coming out of them in this way. I want to make very specific that these four species are even in within the the society of the green folk. I wrote down that in the creation myth when the planter grew the first seeds of everything, one seed went off to see the world. When it kept its seed on its back and it walked around, that became the bug people.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Like a oh, it's so cute.
2: Yes, just like a Bulbasaur, Amanda.
0: Sorry, Eric, if there's not fantasy racism in this uh, non-race hierarchy, I don't know if I can play this campaign. We're going to come back to it, Amanda. We're going to put it
2: in this. We're going to put it in that. But yes, so like... I'm only dividing it by, I think, what, the frequency of all these all the different species of green folk. I think it's just evenly distributed. But really, it doesn't super matter other than what they look like and how many limbs maybe they have. You know, maybe you'll have six if you're a bug. But really, th- that's the only difference. But we're going to come back to that. Yeah. So Vertistello is set in a massive ring. There is nothingness outside of the ring. But it's just like, imagine one big circular landmass.
1: We're talking flat? We talking donut? Yeah, like a donut. Cool. There's a, there's nothing on the
2: outside. It has heft, but you can fall off the end of the world. Cool. Oh no. In that way. You can fall when you go out off the donut. You can fall off the end of the world. Guys,
0: okay. it's a Bialy. It's a beali. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there is a hole in the middle um, there are various environments spread throughout it's bit rather equally throughout the four quadrants but some of the different countries that occupy the uh, four quadrants of Verticello might have different environments associated with the type of people they are so they kind of like have their theme as it is Love but, it cool you cool. know but there's there's everything there's deserts there's mountains there's forests there's uh, plains. There's uh, maybe there's some Arctic thrown in there as well. Ooh. There's all types of envir- environments in these places. Uh, if you're envisioning the, <laughs> if you're envisioning this like landmass donut with four quadrants, it's kind of a combination of two Mario Kart 64 battle stages. <laughs> it's like the donut, <laughs> and then there's that block fort, which is the one with the four different colored squares everywhere. <laughs> That's how I combine the smoosh them together in my head. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, ringing the center of the land donut of Vertistello is a massive waterfall called the Cascade. Yes. <gasps> it kind of comes out of nowhere. There's no peak of the Cascade. It just falls. There is just like a wall of water that encircles the inner donut.
1: Is it like a circle of a waterfall or does it have like a 2D sort of plane? No, you're you're correct, Brandon. It is a circle. Yeah. It is a waterfall circle.
3: Now, is Whoa. the water coming from above or it's falling below or both?
2: It's coming from above, falling below. However, uh, like, it is too tall to see the top. It kind of almost comes from the sky, gotcha. from the clouds because of the massive cloud cover. For those of you who've been near Niagara Falls or whatever big waterfall is in your neck of the woods, you know what I'm talking about. There's this is massive just fogginess around there. This, so it's hard to see. And of course, the thing is about the Cascade is that it is the heart of Verticello. It provides the the water that gets turned into food and drink all over the land the thing about it because we are all and here's the other thing why we're doing plants is that all three of my friends here love plants dearly true, (laughs) yeah. you can't water your plants too much or they'll flood themselves and they'll get sick much like you can't the green folk cannot drink too much pure water or you'll die Mm. like you can't subsist on pure water alone so it's converted to sugar water or alcohol or sap or whatever other things that or for the various foods that they eat all over the world.
1: Love it, love it.
2: That's also the reason why you can't, people have not investigated the cascade all that much because it's it's a ton of running water. You would get destroyed real hard and it would be bad.
1: Mm. So like to us on the ground, it's almost just like there's a column, giant column of water with no beginning, no end.
0: I'm picturing like a shower curtain but yeah. yeah, it's solid water. Yes,
2: it's a giant, exactly, Brandon. It's this giant column of water. It then feeds into this massive, almost a moat, but it's like a lake that where it all leads to, and then it kind of comes out. It's the head of all rivers and lakes. There's this water cascading down that people then, you know, Someone bust in and talk about agriculture and irrigation <laughs> for like five minutes. You know what I mean?
3: Remember that picture from your like earth science textbook
0: mm-hmm. from like sixth grade? It's like that. <laughs> yeah, that's where all tributaries stem from. That's mm-hmm. true.
1: Remember in the theatrical trailer for the movie The Eternals?
0: <laughs> Brandon, no, I don't.
1: <laughs> I also, it's I also like don't. that.
0: <laughs> Guys, I fucked up. It's not a biali. It's a flagel. It's a flat bagel. Oh. It's a flat bagel.
2: And then if you fall off the flagel, you die. Yeah, yeah,
0: just like in real life. Yeah. Those things are sharp. <laughs>
2: to give all of you, of course, some food world building immediately. I feel Thank like I'm, the way that people consume. Nutrients, how they eat and drink, it's usually through liquids. I have this idea of like people putting their root feet into liquids, into like little bowls that are low on the ground. And that's how tables are
1: made. That's so cute. I I was going to ask is there like a hydroponic city and like everyone (gasps) else's soil, or like how do you? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think everyone has the ability to
2: walk around. You know, dining room tables are like a foot off the ground, so everyone kind of
1: like lifts their foot and puts into it,
3: and then it just pours in whatever the quote unquote dinner is. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's awesome. When we like reproduce, when we grow new little baby seedlings, mm. I'm sure there's ones that is hydroponically.
2: And uh, twenty minutes into this podcast, we already have our first slash fiction. Congratulations!
0: <laughs> Yay, we did it. But, anyways, but it it makes a ton of sounds. Like if you leave your plant standing in water, they'll die. Like, you can't like sleep in that. Water, but for for babies, just like they have to, you know, have milk constantly. The baby seedlings have to have to live in their little pods till they're ready to go.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to give you that little thing to to chew on and put in your world if you want it, Eric. Yes, there are city. I I
2: haven't figured out exactly how these cities kind of like look in my head. They they all wear clothes in so many ways and like have shoes. So I wonder if there's like a ritual between like taking off your shoes when you go into someone's house mm. because you assume that there's going to be a food eating. Mm. You know, like I I don't necessarily. I feel like we're crossing the plane into like it's not all plants, but the people are plants. Mm-hmm. You know, in a, in a very red wall situation is like, what are things made out of? We're still kind of figuring out. But I don't know if like the row. I don't think that they're every. Maybe like when you go to sleep, you just gotta root yourself into some soil that you have. But <laughs> I, like I don't know. That's what I'm thinking is like. I feel like they are the people wear. They definitely wear clothes. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. about shoes, but I I I could assume. If it is an adventure story that we're doing, maybe they wear, like, boots and, and shoes and stuff.
1: You don't want us to be
2: nude, Eric? If you want our second piece of slash fiction, that's
0: fine. <laughs> <laughs> So quickly. Yeah, you know, that that makes sense to me. Like, normally, you know, the roots are vulnerable. And, like, that's what you use to, like, take in nutrients. And so it makes sense to be clothed if you're going to be out and about mobile outside of soil, whereas plants normally would be in, in our world. And then I love that idea of, like, you know, for hospitality's sake, there's maybe, a, like, a washing ritual. And then, you know, you... Have at least like mild, you know, commonplace drink available to people when they're at your house if they need if they need sustenance.
3: Cobblers make so much money off the bug people though because they have to have
2: so many boots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they look tight as hell. Yeah. The the bug people are the fashion people. They're they're hell yeah. I'm (laughs) sure. Yeah. <laughs> they love
0: fat. And not love the flowers, fashion. the bugs. I'm picturing like butterfly club kids with like all kinds of like cool strappy, you know, material for the wings to shine. Yes. Incredible.
1: Oh my God. Just to be clear for my pedant and brain as well, like you're including all types of numbers of feet. Like arachnids are not technically bugs. But, like, they're included, right, Eric? Correct, yeah. yes. But I cool. think that,
2: like, again, I really, I know that I set this up, that it's like there's a bunch of plant people and there are bugs. I just thought it would be cool to include bugs as well because I know yeah. bugs look tight as hell. So I, I do think that, yes, any sort of insect or what I, ugh, I don't know about What a kid would call
0: speech. a creepy collie. Yeah.
2: You know, if you showed something to a fifth grader and they told... Actually, no, that fifth grader might tell you, tell you what for. A five-year-old. <laughs> if, if you showed it to showed a, five-year-old, it to a five-year-old, five-year-old and you said, is this a bug? And they say, yes, it counts. Nice. Um, and then, of course, they have the plant's expressions.
1: I did just imagine showing it to a fifth grade Julia and that Julia being like, no, you
3: dumbass! Arachnid! <laughs> it's arachnid! <laughs> Count the legs! One, two,
0: three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Arachnid! <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: they both have thoraxes, but that does not mean... It is a bug,
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay. So, the cascade, as Brandon said, it is perpetual. Uh, the cascade has fallen perpetually for a long, long time in this column, this 360 column of waterfall. But then it began to slow down. The water flow trickled off, and then it slowed down more, and then it started going like it stopped on particular days, no! and then it would oh, came back, and no. now it's like a, like a faucet that's sputtering. The water would fall slowly every day, and then every other day, and then weekly, and now it is a random trickle.
0: That seems bad cosmology-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, seems like a thing that someone's gotta figure out. Now,
2: here's the interesting thing. Once the Cascade has stopped, the Green Folk saw what separated the inside of the ring. It was a great saltwater sea, dotted with incredible, weird, and wild islands as far as the eye could see.
0: Cool.
3: Yeah. I completely
0: forgot about the pirate part. I was so excited about the donut.
2: (laughs) As the cascade slowed, the green folk found 13 carvings into stone left at the bottom of the moat of the carved... (laughs) Sorry, man, just standing too
3: fast. <laughs> <You laughs> so cool. Ooh, I don't blame her.
2: <laughs> the Green Folk found thirteen carvings into stones at the bottom of what was what was once the Cascade Basin. <gasps> I don't know if anyone has seen if you've looked at like the current droughts that are happening in our world. Oh, oh, Uh, sure, Eric, every day. (laughs) (laughs) There are like drought stones that were left by pre-civilizations or early civilizations in like, you know, on the Danube uh, near France and in Europe specifically. And there are these like things called, I think they're called drought stones or famine stones. And basically, like people have carved into it and said, if the water gets below this line, we have a problem. (laughs) no. I did not know that. That's cool. Yes. This is what I was and imagining when I was doing this, like literally someone carved this into stone and then all of a sudden the water receded and you see it and it's like you see this terrible thing in here. And this is what's carved onto each one of the stones. The water will slow to fall, but the tides are turning. Find the infinite lake to replenish the world and the salmon who will grant you a wish of whatever you desire.
1: Magic salmon. (laughs)
2: Magic salmon.
3: Salmon of knowledge. Salmon Salmon of of knowledge. knowledge.
2: I want to make a point. No one knows what a salmon is. (laughs) (laughs)
3: They're all like, what the
2: fuck is that word? There are like cryptozoologists and linguists trying to analyze what salmon means in this like pre-common language. This marks the event called the Ships That Ride the Tide, or better known as The Tide. And what do you call folks who go out onto some salt water in boats and look for adventure? Well, you call them pirates.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah.
2: This story is set fifty years after the beginning of the tide, as everyone is continuously looking for the infinite lake and the salmon that grants wishes, and the fifty years that happened after the cascade stopped running.
3: Fucking love it. Oh my gosh
1: is the 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 what you call it a flagel?
0: <laughs> yeah, flagel, flat bagel. Is
1: the flagel and now the ocean in the middle of it so large that like if you were on one side you couldn't see the landmass on the other side? exactly cool. yes
2: it is okay. as the saltwater sea even if you're standing on the side of it you know even if you're standing on the side of the Mediterranean or a really or a great lake or anything it's like you can't really see the other side it's it's very large and no matter where you're standing in the center of the the donut you cannot see the other side after 50 years no one has found the infinite lake and the salmon that grants wishes so people are still looking for Fervently, as the water from the cascade is starting to finally, all the reserves are drying out.
3: Oh no.
1: Is there no. a heated debate amongst the green folk whether it's pronounced salmon or salmon? <laughs> Brandon, now there is. <laughs> it must.
2: Let's it write must. that down. Different people say salmon or salmon, 100%. And
0: a couple. Salmon.
2: Sal- salmon, people think it's a god.
0: Mm hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, we haven't mentioned any marine creatures, so how could you possibly have a frame of reference for what that is? Exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah, this is the setting. Oh, my God, this is I'm the losing my mind. I'm losing
0: my mind. I'm yeah. so
2: far. This is, where this, is this, this is where we're starting good. this. Very <laughs>
0: good.
2: Now, I have more to say, but I would like to take a pause here for all of us to kind of talk about why we're returning to Dungeons and & Dragons and what we're doing that's different now that we're returning to the game. Hey, this is Eric in the present tense. We actually recorded this episode at the end of September 2022, even before we recorded the One Shot Derby episodes, if you can believe that. That means that this episode, what we recorded, happened before the open gaming license debacle with Wizards of the Coast, as well as their move to change the word race for species. But it was not really like a full change of what it meant. It was more of like a find and replace in all of their books. What's funny is that this doesn't really change anything that I or the rest of the join the party folks say, other than I'm like, oh, it's really novel that we're going to use species for our upcoming game. Wizard of the Coast has been a bad steward of Dungeons and Dragons for a very long time, and the corporation that owns them, Hasbro, only is using them to make gobs and gobs and gobs of money, even as we use it to express ourselves with storytelling. The game that they're selling you is not the game that we play at our tables, both me and you, the listener. And it's imperative that we keep this corporation's feet to the fire, which, you know, I will be doing on social media and on this podcast. And I know that the rest of the Join the Party folks will be doing as well. I'm only here to point that out to say that there might be a little bit of dissonance, but not a lot because Wizard of the Coast continues to fuck up. Now, listen in the next part and it will all make sense. Back to it. I did miss playing d d to be honest. I missed, I missed me rolling dice. Uh, I have like...
0: missed that too. When we started Monster of the Week, I bought you two big D6 because you have mm-hmm. a big D20. And you're like, that's very sweet of you. I don't need these. <laughs> <laughs> that's very sweet of you. I don't do
3: any rolling. It's all yeah. on you, motherfuckers. <laughs> you
0: rolling, protecting the, the roll from me you know, with your hand, and then giggling is a thing I definitely missed. We, we also missed that.
2: Yeah. And I think that, like, you know, as much as I love Monster of the Week and I love Powered by the Apocalypse games... Dungeons & Dragons is the best game that we've seen so far, obviously in the mainstream of it, to tell a very large story, Mm -hmm. a very large campaign that goes in various directions. And we're doing a ton of stuff here. Like, we're going to be doing pirates, but there's some other mechanics I'm going to throw in here. And there's things that we're going to push in different directions to make this turn into the story of what we're looking for. Like, definitely there's going to be ship combat. Like, you're going to have your own ship, for sure. Uh, And the PC is going to be interacting with the stuff. But obviously we're laying out this homebrewed stuff uh, you might have heard me say species and not race, uh, because I've made some changes that I really want to address here that I think is important as we're playing Dungeons & Dragons in 2022, 2023, and beyond. First of all, the green folk. All Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, especially I I also really wanted to come back to a fantasy world. I missed it from campaign one. I avoided it because I wanted to tell like a human story, which felt very important in the world we were living in in uh, 2018, 2019, talking about like people in a a city and figuring out what exists. But now it's like, you know, I want to go tackle a fantasy world because I don't trust a lot of the people making it right now (laughs) with how Wizard of the Coast is putting out one D&D, which is like their continuous games-as-service version of Dungeons & Dragons are going to be continuously updating, and still all of the problems that people have been talking and asking for change for years now, it is happening incrementally and almost not at all. And there are a lot of issues that I want to make sure that we address. I'm going to include this link in the episode description, but I sent this out. Uh, There was a wonderful article on io9 called Why Race is Still a Problem in Dungeons & Dragons, written by Linda Kodega. Who interviewed a ton of POC Dungeons & Dragons creators about talking about specifically all of these like half or even quarter measures that Wizard of the Coast is making to address these problems. I would just want to cite some of this stuff. All the way back in June 2020, Wizard of the Coast issued a statement about their commitment to diversity in Dungeons & Dragons. They identified commonly cited pressure points. And said, throughout the fifty-year history of D anD D, some people in the game, orcs and drow, being two of the prime examples, have been characterized as monstrous and evil using descriptions that are painfully reminiscent of how real-world ethnic groups have been and continue to be denigrated. End quote.
0: Damn. That's what they. Say, that's what they wrote. That's I say what... reminiscent. It's it's uh, taken directly from black people in the world. But okay.
2: Yeah. And like the whole – and those like the high fantasy pastiche, how it all this stuff is based off of like the races of people. And basically D&D has been struggling with this quite a lot. But I think that there are some inherent issues here. Like there's a really great quote from a a creator named Rue V. Dickey. One of the problems of having people choose their race first in D&D – when making your character is that it makes becomes a defining trait within the world regardless of intention. Mm. Making race a core tenant of your character can be really uncomfortable, especially as a person of color. I think that's really interesting that the first thing you do when you make a character is like, I'm playing a dragonborn. And like not you nothing else. Not even your class, not even your name, you need to you need to put that down. And I think that's really, really interesting and very important.
1: Yeah. I never thought about the fact that D D just stripped the orc of context, like as a first maneuver. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, it really smacks of, a thing created by white people, right? Where yeah. uh, race, when you're white, is experienced as a thing like hair color or eye color where, you know, we walk through the world and choose to engage with race, when to do it, if to do it at all. And when you're talking about making a character in D&D, you think like, oh, yes, I'll choose my character's like name and eye color and hair color. Like, it's, it's not the same. And moving through the world where somebody first perceives you by your race and then makes assumptions that the game holds up as true based on that is... Not a thing that a lot of people are excited to replicate in a fantasy environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think D and D can choose to to stop, and they haven't.
2: I want to be very clear, just going forward, and I don't. I'm not correcting you two, but I think that this is part of the insidiousness of big companies tying themselves to the the products that they make. I want to be very clear. This is like the people who work at the company Wizards of the Coast. Yes. and Hasbro, and they, to their own benefit, tie themselves directly to Dungeons and Dragons, the game. Yes, mm-hmm. and that is something I wanted to touch on. Is that there is an essential tying of the Forgotten Realms, the standard issue land that they create, the one with the dwarves and the elves, the dwarves who are stocky people who don't have a land, and the elves who are blonde and beautiful, and the humans who just kind of shrug, and the monsters who are bad and dark-coated, etc. Like, they intentionally put that in their game system. Like, that is in the player's handbook. That's in the DM's handbook. Those are things that are inextricable from the game itself, and it's to their own benefit because they want to sell you books that they wrote. The other issue is that all the books, they keep hiring all these people And again, I don't begrudge those people to get those jobs. They need those jobs. It's the biggest, they're the biggest job offerer in the tabletop RPG space. You want to put it on your resume, get paid, and then be able to do your own thing later or hopefully make change. And then the same three dudes are rewriting everyone's stuff before that stuff comes out. So, like, there is no possibility for change. And there are articles and quotes from various places where it's like, Wizard of the Coast wants D&D to be D&D, whatever that means. And that means that the same people are just going to do it. I want to touch on there was a really great summary of all of the issues that all of the people that uh, that uh, Linda Codega summarized all this stuff to all this summarized stuff. The critical points of game design that would help remove s- inherent bioessentialism and move away from racial coding. The removal of prescriptive skill packages. So think about how only specific races are allowed to be brave or know how to use certain weapons mm-hmm. or are smart in, or have these bonuses. Not even like the bonuses that we've talked about that like Orcs get plus two to strength and are dumb, but, like, hey, only this race knows how to use archery equipment, essentially, is really odd. It's
0: not even implicit. It's explicit. It's explicit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, co- yeah. it's, it's, like, it's not even coded. It's in the coding. Like, oh, gosh.
2: Um, or who know a certain language that only a certain race knows a certain language is wild. The decoupling of traits from race, as we talked, as we just talked about, better mixed race mechanics. So half elves, half orcs, half dragons, half azamar are all like exoticized. And how how it's cool for people to be like, it's cool you're multiple races. I love that for you. Mm-hmm. Is wild that that's in there. And then of course the elimination of racialized language. Only specific races speak to each other in specific uh, languages. All of these can be done, and players have already done so at their own tables.
1: Yeah, it's so funny to me that I like. I feel like D and D, like wizards, was originally like, oh, if we combine or, or attach these these few things, it will make it the easier for the player to like get started. When the reality is like, one, it, it comes with the problems that all you you just described or Linda just described. And then two, like, it's not easier if you just gave, like, a character sheet where it's, like, check one from each of these lists. Like, you would get away from these problems and it would Mm -hmm. be an easier character creation process than, like, having to be like, oh, I want to be this. But, like, oh, it has to have that and then blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous.
0: Of course, race contextualizes how you move through the world and perhaps more importantly, how the world perceives you. But it doesn't inherently limit what you're capable or interested in, you know in doing mm-hmm. and that's the thing that's so frustrating like yeah wizards of the coast thinks that this is betraying the game system in some way or you know would make things incredibly complicated and i feel like that's not giving players enough credit like we yeah. we understand a lot more than they think we do just give us a like let us do it people are doing it like like codega said yeah mm-hmm. well here's the
2: thing especially because of what we've seen with one D. here's some D history for y'all as people went from 3.5 to five Fifth edition is the one we're currently in. Three point five was the one before. Four was a disaster. It's it was like there was you had to use a board and there was cards involved. It oh, was really no. weird. It was really weird. So we're playing D and D fourth edition for this season. I've joined the <laughs> party. We are. So D and D lost a ton of people to Pathfinder, which were people who moved, who basically made a new game that was based off of. It was another D twenty system. Uh, Burn Cookbook Party currently runs uh, Pathfinder. It's the the podcast that. Jenna Steber is on and like listen it's very popular uh, because people wanted a D20 system that while Wizard of the Coast was fucking around what Dungeons and Dragons were supposed to be they lost a ton of people to Pathfinder. Wizard of the Coast is worried about that happening again which is why they've turned 5th edition into the ever the ever edition whatever 1D&D is now going to be this like changeable movable database that they're going to poke and prod at to hopefully get these things by very very tiny quarter measures and even less
0: and Eric do I have to keep paying them a subscription fee instead of like I don't know buying one book that I can reference forever
2: oh baby you know it uh, so the reason why the issue of why these changes have happened is because they're trying to quote-unquote keep old Dungeons and Dragons players which means you know old white guys yes not telling old yeah. old white straight male nerds that things are different than what they want in their world and as it into their fantasy world,
0: which hey isn't a true representation of their existing fan base. There have been black players, women players, queer players from the beginning. Yeah, uh, right. but hey, it sure shows you whose opinions they value. Mm-hmm.
1: I would also assume that. I mean, I don't know, but I would assume that today, right now, like the mo- majority of their fan base is not that anymore. You know?
2: Yeah, it, it is weird. I wonder if there's like a purchasing power argument with it. The thing is, we're talking about mm-hmm. economics because it's a business yeah. decision. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. It's it's an important yeah. it's important to say. It's not about what's right. Yeah. yeah. So. I have made some changes Mm. to simplify this stuff and also so we can feel better about playing this game system that I like. I really like the skeleton. I've talked about how Dungeons and Dragons is an interesting and flexible system that lets you play epic stories that involve kicking ass. And that's fun to play on a podcast. Um, But there are changes that need to be made that Wizards of the Coast will not do for business reasons. And I think we can do to demonstrate that you can do it. I have summarized all of these changes that I'm about to describe. You can click the link in the episode description and you can refer to it going forward. I'm going to keep it in the episode descriptions of all episodes going forward so all of you can just click this link and be like, hey, want to see the changes we made in campaign three? Click here. I just
1: clicked. Oh. Oh. No, Brandon, don't read
2: ahead. I have to tell it to you. No. (laughs) Also, this is ahead of time and I haven't written it yet. (laughs) (laughs) But it will be written, I promise. Okay, so... I, there are four changes we're making here, one of which isn't even a change, okay? Okay. The first is initial bonuses. The first thing you are going to choose when you are making your character is something called traditions. Traditions are your, your initial bonuses and things you know inherently as a person because they're from what country your character and your character's family is from in Verda Stello. Mm. Now, these are mostly just stat bonuses plus some traits that you have inherited from like cultural osmosis. I really wanted to tie these two countries because it's like, you know, when you think about countries, uh, whether in Europe or maybe regions of the United States, there are like. Value systems and skills that most people know that have been passed on from living in that area. Not you necessarily as a person, but from, like, the relationships, the the uh, principles that are uphold by the country, whether through, like culture or through government and i I find that way more interesting which is kind of something we've been prodding and poking at with campaign two about like what what is the value system or the people of a city what do they care about i feel like this extends larger to a country uh in a fantasy setting Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm going to describe those countries for
0: you right after this Ah! cut to commercial hey it's amanda Aren't you enjoying that new campaign smell? A little salty, super fresh. Mm, There's nothing like it. And it reminds me of the feeling of matching my shoes to my outfit. This is something that I have been trying to do more and more this year, is wear something with a pop of color that I can accessorize with one of my very cool pairs of sneakers. And even if I don't see anybody that day or have any in-person meetings, it's still a little, you know, secret. Something that I know I can have powering my day. So welcome to the mid-roll. Today's shoes are Uno branded and my pop of color is red. Thank you so much to our newest patrons. There are a lot of you. Wow, it's almost like you enjoy business analysis or something. Nerds love it. Welcome. Thank you specifically to Cyan, Timothy, Mackenzie, Jake Fisher, the fake jisher. You thought that would fool me, didn't you? Nope, I said it. Adam, Q4, Blake, SJ, Jonas, Kristen, Crimson, Julia, Max, Anna, Jet, and SKH. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have you on board. It's never been a better time to support us over on Patreon because you, along with our other patrons, will be the first to hear about the winner of the One-Shot Derby. We are hard at work tabulating the results, and we will announce soon what the winning One-Shot is. Remember, if you want to hear the full game once we play it, you gotta be a patron. That's all at patreon.com slash pod. By the way, are you following us on social? Eric and Julia are absolutely killing it lately, dropping teases about campaign three. And that includes character art, baby. Follow at Join the Party Pod on Twitter and Instagram, which is run by our own Eric and Tumblr, which Julia mans to make sure you see all of the goodness as it comes out. We are far from over dropping teases and getting you excited about the new campaign. This week at Multitude, Pale Blue Pod is an astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but really want to be its friend. Astrophysicist Dr. Moya McTeer and comedian Corinne Caputo demystify space one topic at a time with open eyes, open arms, and open mouths from all of the laughing and jaw-dropping and awe. By the end of each episode, the Cosmos will feel a little less scary and a lot more cool. Check out their new episodes every Monday wherever you get your podcasts or at palebluepod.space. We are sponsored this week by Witchy Cakes, the brand new project from our friends at Mage Hand Press. In this game, you play witches competing to make the tallest, most enchanted cake possible to deliver onto an unsuspecting wedding reception. Wishy Cakes is an adorable and savagely competitive card game that anyone can learn in under five minutes. They timed it. Yes, it's true. Throw cakes at your friends and build an occult culinary masterpiece in the most colorful card game of 2023. Eric and I were lucky enough to preview the game at PAX Unplugged, and it is so, so gorgeous and genuinely took us less than five minutes to learn, even standing in a very sweaty expo hall. It made me smile just looking at it, and I immediately thought of so many people I wanted to buy it for. So support the Kickstarter now and make sure this goodness actually happens. Back the project before February 16th, 2023 at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Just click the link in the description or search for Witchy Cakes on Kickstarter to find it. We are also sponsored today by Brilliant. Let's say, just for argument's sake, that you're an aspiring pirate who wants to learn how ships float, why pulleys work, and how on earth that medium sized wheel turns an entire dang ship. Or, excuse me, how on Vertistello that wheel doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Okay, I'll work on it. So, you go to brilliant.org, the best way to learn math, science, and computer science interactively. I imagine, as an aspiring pirate, you'd be kind of embarrassed, to be like, um, how exactly is it that ships float? But hey, you can. Learn about that on Brilliant because one lesson that they offer is about classical mechanics. This is all about Newton's fundamental principles of modern day physics, which has a ton to do with how ships float and sails actually work. Ships are filled with pulleys and ramps and other simple machines, all of which have to do in one way or another with the Principia and classical mechanics. To get started for free, visit brilliant.org slash join the party or click on the link in the description. The first 200 of you will get 20% off Brilliant's annual premium subscription. Once more, that's brilliant.org slash join the party. Finally, the show is sponsored by BetterHelp when you're at your best, you can do great things. Let's say that you are feeling great. You're all about yourself. You're all about your hobbies. You're all about your adventures. You're like, hey, pirate crew, I really want to join you. And um, no matter, you know, if you decide that you want me or not, I know my inherent worth. I'm a, I'm a badass babe over here and I want to be a pirate. I don't know why this pirate's becoming a girl boss. Roll with me. Uh, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up at work or in your relationship relationships or for your fellow pirates in the way that you want to. So one fantastic option to help you get back to what you want to do and figure out how to be the best you you can be is therapy. And if finding therapy near you, maybe you're out in the middle of the sea and there are no therapists um, on the open seas with you right now, try BetterHelp. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com/join the party today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/join the party. And now, back to the show.
2: The second thing, as you might have noticed before, instead of race, we have species. Race doesn't really matter in a fantasy setting. Again, like, it's wild that people use this word, which means something very specific in our human current world right now. But in a fantasy setting, you made it up from your brain. I am also moving away from the high fantasy pastiche that is Tolkien and everything that's been taken from that, as I referenced the Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings industrial complexes that exist after that, you know, it's like there's no pointy-headed, there's no elves and dwarves and stuff. So like, I get to do whatever I want, and I'm excising us from the Forgotten Realms and from this idea. And so we have species, and those species really don't have any bearing on the game mechanically, other than how you look and how many limbs you, how many limbs you have. And this is not to say that we're not going to be talking about as i like to do in most of my stories power and who has power and ha- wielding it over each other
1: the answers are me and my player and my <laughs> my character
0: it doesn't have
2: Brandon, to be like you don't hold me hostage with you being like i rolled a 14 and i'm going to poop in this bear's face <laughs> what damage do I do?
1: Eric, when have I ever done that to a bear? <laughs> to a bear specifically. Never. Um, everyone just
2: imagine the things that Brandon's done in your head. You can just take a second. Anyway, so yeah, we're just going to be having species. It's going to be, they're all from the same progenitor. But of course, we have the greenery, the produce, the flowers, and the bugs. Uh, like I said, these are mostly just stat bonuses that you're going to give yourself, plus two traits to inherited. Going off of the thing that uh, that Linda Kodega pointed to before, I'm taking all of the, that skills bullshit out, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't know how to use a gun better because you're a plant. You know your greenery, right?
1: <laughs> or do I? <laughs> you clearly haven't met plants, Eric. Right? Yeah. Or
2: you're from a specific country. You're not. You're not better at heavy weaponry. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's. I really want to make that clear again. And to what Brandon just said, this makes it so much more complicated by adding all this stuff. Everyone has the same walking speed. Like everyone <laughs> can. Everyone can see in the dark. Like I don't care. I just don't care.
0: Yeah. I was just gonna say I can like cut through a sidewalk in midtown at rush hour, not because of some inherent bonus to me, because (laughs) I'm a white Irish woman from New York. It's because if I don't, I'll get swept aside. And my parents knew how to do that because they're from New York and they taught me. Like it's a skill, it's a tradition. It's not something inherent about my biology. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Julia talks like she's from Long Island because she's from Long Island. (laughs) I
3: don't talk like I'm from Long Island. (laughs) Very rarely does it
0: come out. (laughs) And I value bagels. <laughs> yeah, I value bagels
2: because they're delicious. And yeah, I've had good I love bagels.
0: pizza. pizza. <laughs> because pizza's good.
2: Okay, the third one is the one that's the same. Backgrounds are the same. Honestly, I like them. When we talk about languages, I always like turning that into jargon. Uh, mm-hmm. We ha- were very successful with oh Milo's ability to speak to eBay and <laughs> yes. uh, Aggie's ability to know construction stuff, I think has been really fun. And I think that we're kind of leaning on something that we don't, that I think backgrounds are getting at but are ignored very quickly <laughs> in t- in, when people are in a campaign. But, like, y'all probably weren't pirates to begin with. Mm. Or, like, you know, people were not pirates to start with. It's this adventure you undertake on behalf of yourself or someone else or your your country or, or a principle you uphold. So I think you will have skills that you did before you got on a pirate ship, which I think is very important to the the campaign of this tide.
0: Yeah. Love yeah, it. Love it.
2: I don't have backgrounds in front of me. If there's another piece of racial essentialism that's in there, I'm taking it out. I just Great. haven't looked at it specifically because I've been focusing on the species and the tradition stuff
1: so much. Oh, what's this one? I have a I have a list and it's of backgrounds, and it just says white. It says bounty hunters only are <laughs> it says bounty hunters are only allowed to be Vietnamese.
2: Oh, <laughs> God. Hmm. It's strange. I don't know why that's written there. I'm taking that out. I'm pulling it out. Okay, good, good, good. And finally, because I think we want to stretch our legs a little bit more after playing our third campaign of Dungeons and Dragons, we are gonna be using classes and subclasses from Valda's Spire of Secrets from Mage Hand Press. Yeah, boy. We talk Talked about, about this a lot in the end of Campaign 2 when this Kickstarter was running last year, but we got our hands on the PDFs. The classes and subclasses are absolutely incredible. There's some really great expansion on classes, spells, feats. And more. We're going to be linking to it in our episode description. We're talking to Mage Hand Press to see what we can do to make sure uh, everyone knows about it, both on their side and on our side, so everyone is self-aware of this. But we're going to spend another episode with just the characters, introducing uh, the classes and subclasses and all the other good stuff that you've done. So no one is going to be behind, even though we are using homebrewed classes and subclasses. Remember, we've been using homebrewed subclasses for a very long time, so y'all are already on top of it. It's true. Mm-hmm. I'm very, and I'll so I don't know what the characters are doing yet. I'm super stoked. So uh, you you are all going to
1: surprise me at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um what's the like lifespan of of folks here?
2: That's a good question. I think it's about human sized. I think that there's a pirates are interesting because you die easy. You know? <laughs> like right? Like you're you know you're putting yourself in intentionally a dangerous situation by living on a boat in the middle of the sea.
1: Are they like lobsters where, like, if we didn't catch them and eat them, they'd live forever, but they're still easily pierced by a sword? <laughs>
2: I, no, I know what you're talking about. I think that green folk have similar fragility in terms of both their bodies and their age mm. as humans do. Cool. I also think it might be pretty interesting to see an old person on a boat. <laughs> like, if you're old, there's a reason why. You know what I mean? Like, you've survived. You are, you're a crafty guy. Well, that's what I think about in terms of age. Gotcha.
3: Also, Brandy, you want to know a sad fact about lobsters? I guess... So what you said is true is that they can basically like live forever if we didn't catch and kill them, except for the fact that eventually they like are unable to molt and they continue growing inside their shells and it just crushes them to death
1: and it's very sad. Yeah, that's very sad. I don't like yeah. it. I don't really like lobsters either. They're kinda of gross. I don't bleh.
2: Julia Amanda had to take yeah. out her earbud because you were. Saying oh, the sad I'm fact sorry, about
0: bud. It's okay. I protected myself. <laughs>
2: To be more specific, Brandon, I think this is like turn-of-the-century people, because it's like people aren't living to 120, I don't think. I think it's like if you saw someone who was 70, it would be, wow, oh my god. If you saw, especially if they were on a boat, that's even wilder. Mm. I think there are probably people who are in like very posh living areas on land who are like, 80, 85, but probably no more. 80, 90, it'd be like, wow, well, the oldest person in the world is 100, it is definitely like written in their Guinness Book of World Records.
1: Hell cool. Yeah. And you already said this, but remind me the ocean is um, salt water. It's salt water. Yes. Cool. That's actually very
2: important. The ocean is salt water, which makes it even worse to swim in. I don't think that that green folk swim. I mean, don't put salt water in your plants. You know no. what I mean? Like, that's bad news. They don't like it. You yeah. parked right up. Listen, I know the least about plants out of all four of you, so I'm going to be throwing stuff out. And I'm like, Eric had like a correct, panic right? attack. He
1: was like, do you, do you do that? Are you supposed to do that? Like, you, <laughs> I know
2: people are going to be like, kick. someone just kicked in the door of the recording studio and said some plants love salt water. I know, <laughs> not in my fantasy world.
3: <laughs> Get out of here. Get.
2: So swimming, if you fall in the water, I think it's dangerous on top of the ocean thing, how ocean currents are really scary. There might be things in the water. It's bad if you fall in, in the salt water. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Like even more so than than the pure water of the Cascade. Okay. You want to hear the countries that you can pull your traditions from. Yes! Yeah! Now, I want to entreat all of you to keep your minds open because although we're going to be focusing more on, the, on sea life and life at sea and the islands as we uh, investigate the adventure of the tide, but if you choose one of these traditions... I would love your help, kind of building out more about these countries and where you're from and what's going on with these people. Cool. Because uh, I have, I have the name. I have like country and tradition words. I have phrases for each one. Cool. Uh, the only good thing that Jar Jar never wrote was the house words. Jesus <laughs> <She's laughs> <upset laughs> fuck. We're gonna be working together on building this country out. So keep your uh, your eyes and ears open on all this stuff.
0: Hell yeah, I love it.
2: The first one is the hot house. Uh, Their traditional motto is, why suffer when we can strive? If I were to come up with a banner or a flag for this, I think it's literally like a construction of a hothouse. Uh, with a, with a abstract sun off to the side. I also think that we have similar weather patterns in Invertistello as we do on Our World, just because they're plant people, so it kind of fits together like that. So the Hothouse is known for construction and ingenuity. Their uh, traditions and their their principles are about finding the best way to do something is its own greatest reward. Mm. They also prize letting people know that you did it with a plaque or a statue or a <laughs> signature or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> It's very important. Uh, their government is put together. Uh, the main figure is called the Builder, who is kind of a god king. The Builder embodies everything that the hothouse believes in.
0: I mean, that would be the biggest boon, right? Is... Building the society that builds everything else, right? Like you are making the template for the society that values templates above all else. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. These are large countries, so I think that these kind of spread all out th- around the area again, regardless of environment. But I think that you know you're in the hot house when you cross into a land that has actual houses that are built like a hot house that are all glass, or they incorporate a windows or a solarium. Uh, there's always like a glass area of your home because. Sleeping in your solarium is supposed to, like, do more for your body and makes you grow and, like, we have the ingenuity to make uh, ourselves as good as possible, which is something that the Hothouse prizes over all else.
3: Mm-hmm. Hell yeah!
2: So yeah, the main figure of government—I have governments for each one of these. Uh, the main figure of government here is the builder, who is kind of like a god king, a la pharaohs in Egypt. Mm-hmm. They reign for long stretches of time they, because once you're once you're designated the builder, everyone kind of consolidates around you, and there isn't a lot of like palace intrigue. It's just like, yeah, well, the builder's the smartest and knows everything, so we're gonna do. They're gonna lead us in whatever direction we're going to do. It's kind of like, um, it's not like a religious monarchy, like a divine. And right thing because in between God Kings, there is a series of challenges that people do publicly to determine who is the
0: builder. Uh. And
2: then there is a final voting and every single citizen of the hothouse gets a vote.
0: It's like the civil service exam meets the electing of a new pope. <laughs> yes,
2: it's something, It's actually a lot like that. And then in, in, there's a lot of tumult in between. And, you know, I'm not saying that there isn't like political intrigue of getting the builder you want into this thing and training the next series of builders. But I think once they're in there, they're reigning for 50, 60, 70 years. Wow. It's yeah. too long.
1: I'm going to so say cool. that's too long.
2: I, I agree. I 100% agree. <laughs> but they think it's the right thing because there's a real belief in objectivism in the hothouse. Right. Mm. Um. You get stat bonuses. You get initial stat bonuses. You can decide uh, whether you want to do plus two to one stat and plus one to the other stat or flop them and do plus one and plus two.
3: So you could either do plus two to strength and one to intelligence or plus two to intelligence and one to strength, correct? Correct.
1: correct. Gotcha. But I assume the stats change per country yes it cool.
2: changes per country
1: cool oh
2: yes this is the tradition variation i'm talking about these are the stat bonuses that come from that so if you're from the hothouse you get bonuses to strength and intelligence and you can decide if you want to do plus two or plus one to either one of those cool you also get you can choose a field of study something that you are super into and if you make a history or investigation check on your field of study you can add your proficiency bonus to it oh i like that yeah, uh, it would. You probably be something a little bit more like hands-on. Uh, I don't think it's like philosophical necessarily or, or like idealistic. Pottery, yeah, like pottery or construction or, or something. we can talk about what what it is your field of study is, but you can add your proficiency bonus straight up to that, um, and then you get one extra jargon uh, or language.
0: Okay, nice. My name's Aggie O'Hare, and I speak paperwork.
1: Man, you have already done that character. You can't do it again. Uh, damn. Oh okay. no. Come on
2: want anyone have any questions about the hot house?
0: No, I love them. I love it.
2: The the hot house was was fun envisioning like a fantasy world that had just like a ton of glass houses everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think looking out on the horizon and seeing like the glass houses reflect all the light at sunset. Oh, mm.
1: it's so cool. It must be some kind of like special glass too cuz like they're Good builders, so they wouldn't yeah be able to break a glass house with a rock or whatever the saying is. No, Absolutely,
0: like Don't throw stones in glass houses. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it makes sense, too, why they would prize leadership that goes on for so long, because getting an infrastructural project done takes mm. a long time.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> You're not allowed to say something mean about someone else while inside of your house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the second country you can choose from are open fields. Their traditional motto is "Reap what is sown." Open fields. There's a lot more flat area or irrigated and agricultural area to like hoe and sow and make fields out of, uh, which is kind of self-explanatory. Um, but I think that there's a there's a relationship with the world itself. Maybe it's a little bit more religious, ever in the way that like maybe maybe you assume that like everyone who's around Vatican City is like, yeah, I believe in that guy, the Pope. <laughs> like it's kind of like a prevailing thing that like everyone believes in this kind of relationship with the world itself and you know the the relationship of the harvest and of the the agricultural cycle
1: is it would you say it's more religious or more like spiritual mystical kind of thing i think it's more religious i think there's a codification here instead
2: of feeling it's kind of like revolving uh, you go, you farm and you you believe in the farm and you do your prayers thing. I don't know if there are churches in that way, and I use church specifically, mm-hmm. but I think that it was like there's a prevailing like relationship with actually, you know, what? there probably are churches. I think that there's a real like the three places I go, I'm either on the farm or at the church or at the family relationship place, you know, at my community center.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like the real like lived reality of the agricultural calendar That's like a thing you do over and over and over again, and it would make sense that like uh, a practice of worship or making sure that the economy and, you know, meteorology are what they have to be makes sense. They would go hand in hand.
3: Yeah, Mm. the word ritual keeps coming to mind.
2: Yes, Yeah. Definitely, definitely rituals. I also don't want to tie this to Christianity necessarily. It's just kind of like a pervasiveness throughout the community that like we all do this together. We all do this in the in the country. That like we all kind of believe in the same thing because we live in the fields and we work the fields. We're in we're in with it. We care about the earth and the earth provides for us. Now you might be asking yourself, what are they farming? What
3: are they farming? Eric,
2: what are they farming? There's a real Goofy and Pluto situation happening here. (laughs) Because they
0: do farm produce. Okay, okay. But some is sentient and some is not.
2: Yes, exactly. The the big ones are sentient. The small ones are not. I don't know if you've played, like, Betrayal on the House of the Hill, or maybe there's some shades of this in, like, Hall of Cthulhu games, but I want to give them perseverance in that, like, they're fine with looking at the strangeness of the world and not having your brains break in half. Mm -hmm. There's a stat in Betrayal on the House of the Hill called sanity, which is your ability to, like, look at a horrible thing and be okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like people from the open fields are okay at, like, staring at, the strangeness of the world
1: and like dealing with it. Cool. What do they do with the produce? Does someone eat it? Yeah, you eat it. It's part of it or you juice it. I guess you juice it, yeah. Well, because we talked about, yeah, their roots eating out of bowls before so I didn't know. Right. Do they have forks and knives and tables and shit?
2: Yeah, I think so. I'm not saying that you can't put things in your mouth and eat and eat them. I just think that it might be easier necessarily to drink with your roots uh, or have low-slung low, low slung tables I thought was fun. But, yeah, I think that people eat with their mouths as well. They are, you have two options.
0: Special occasion.
2: Yeah. Another thing that I thought would be really interesting about the open fields is they name themselves after virtues.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which I really
2: loved. Like, I don't know. There's, like, a tradition of naming yourself after a virtue you want to embody, you know, in the way that, like – old, like, uh, revivalist Christian communities did. So it's like, hi, this is my son, Responsibility.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My daughter, Temperance. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. But, like, you know, it's definitely separated from those things. So I think those ideas of virtue, people are named those things but I find deeply fun. Like, you run into someone whose name is Love or Friendship or Kindness.
0: Or, like, I mean, even there are ones that have been very normalized, like Earnest, you know?
2: I think that there's also a level of artisticness in a certain way uh, in, like, expressing your your feelings and being able to have your your relaxation time. There's, like, an artist—I wrote artistic in a renaissance sort of way. A- and I also tied this that the cities there are very old. It's like they built the cities, and then they were like, all right, we're done. We're going to go farm for the rest of time. Um, and it's very regimentally maintained in the way that, like— People had hoped that, like maybe Venice was, or when you go to Europe and you're like, "Wow, this building's been here for 1,200 years." Jesus Christ!
0: <laughs> I'm picturing a big old state fair. Almost, you know, <laughs> of, like, That's been here for 1,200 arts, years. The butter sculpting. No, no, no. In terms of like the artistic disciplines.
1: <laughs> no, I, I understand what you're saying. I just thought it was <laughs> funny. <laughs> They're also
2: not afraid of fertilizer. I'm not sure what the fertilizer is necessarily, but it might be another thing of like bodies decomposing and using it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's compost. compost. Yeah. Hey,
1: Eric. I hate to tell you, but Soil does have human bodies in it, too.
2: <laughs> no, I, lo- I was like, oh, there's no animal poop. But then I'm like, oh, wait, their bodies decompose into compost. So, again, it's looking at the horrors of the world and being okay with it and, yeah. and incorporating it into your world.
0: No, that makes total sense. Yeah.
2: Their government system is an oligarchy. It's run by the few, quote, unquote, who is kind of as an executive, a military, a money, a culture, and a religious figure a la maybe the the council the small council in Game of Thrones but uh, there is much like in France there is an obligation to rise up and demand the head of someone at any time because the many can always overcome the few that's awesome Mm.
3: hey hey, Eric that slaps
2: thank you (laughs) there's a real like tradition of revolution uh, when things aren't going well
0: it's metal as fuck
2: Mechanically, that means you can put your bonuses in wisdom and con. You have advantages on being charmed or mind control. And you know one instrument very well. Mm. We can expand that to any other art, but I just think that playing an instrument on a boat is always helpful. It's mm-hmm. true. It's like, hey, I, I do oil paintings. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I do we, frescoes.
3: They never dry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyone have any questions for the next one? Could, is it possible that... Um, could someone be born in the open fields and then live, grow up in the hothouse or whatever?
2: Great question. This is not about where you're born. I think that's very, from what we understand about expatriatism and moving and traditions of the, those things, this I think is where you grew up the most. Cool. Is where you gain this stuff.
0: Yeah. Like, what does society teach you? You know, so what does society teach you is important. What does society punish you for being or not being? Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting.
2: This is also not the end all and be all, obviously, of like, green folk experience in the world. This is just the mechanics I've written for our game. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I know. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so it's like if someone asks that question, I'd be like, you're 100% correct, but I would like to give you some bonuses yeah. if- before you started my Dungeons & Dragons game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's we'll go to the next one. This is the Kingdom of the Crags. Traditional motto is we cover all.
0: Moss, 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 must. <laughs>
2: There's a lot of moss, a lot of like happening. Yeah! Although this is not solely mountains, because, again, these aren't where the dwarves live in the mountains. <laughs> there is certainly a thing about living in places that are less inhabited uh, that the people of the crabs are more than happy with. Living in deserts, living in bogs, living in mountains, if there's any sort of, like, permafrost area, that would might more likely than not be in this place where, so, where there is a thriving community instead of, like, a small outpost there. The crags they love dealing with adversity. They have formed into houses and territories. I think this is another thing that I pulled from Game of Thrones. I really, the house system is interesting. I don't know if anyone's looked at a map of Westeros and Essos and saw how the houses are spread out. But, like, they're wild as hell. There are sigils everywhere over, like, small territories. So it's, like, almost like small territory people own these like small uh, territories or feudalist. Uh, They're not feudalist, obviously, but like, you know, duchies or whatever or counties and it's kind of divided in that area uh, they believe in sacrificing comfort for something greater usually it's for their own enrichment um, they explore the land and the find the great thing that it does and work with it whether this is pulling obsidian from lava uh, near a volcano or looking for a fruit that gives you the strength of ten green folk buried deep within a one specific place like a an oasis in a desert or on a mountain or a glowing mushroom that is in a crevice metal as fuck they are like this is my thing I live here because this tight thing exists here
1: mm-hmm. do they call it the earth do you think
2: that's a good question probably or the they probably call it the uh the land
1: so when they say the earth they mean the land not like the planet that they live on or or you know whatever that they live on kind of thing. yeah
2: because like the planet and the land is is vertistilo so when I say earth I mean like soil cool but I'm gonna try to take that out of my language because I'm a fantasy writer now and I can't have that shit
0: <laughs> Tara who's she
2: their government is the constant royalty of the crags a phrase that people throw around is called everyone has a purpose and the royals are ruling and dying (laughs) getting back into into House of the Dragon and thinking about Game of Thrones again it was so funny how like no one really cares about whatever is happening on King's Landing like how much does that affect like everyone else living in Game of Thrones I think that was the whole point of Winter coming that like everyone in Westeros needs to get their shit together because something bad is happening but everyone's too busy squabbling or doing their own individual territory thing to work together and I think that there is some embodying that similar thing is is very interesting that like people have their houses and their territories and they kind of care about themselves because they're preserving the cool thing that is in their territory and they have like they forego being comfortable to pursue that cool thing
0: instead Hell yeah,
1: dog. So is it almost quasi like British monarchy kind of vibes? Um Minus the colonialism. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It's like there are kings, but do the kings if how long does it take for a decree that a king makes or a royal to make comes down and actually affects someone who lives on a land out in house? gemini or whatever which is like all the way out on the other side next to a volcano Mm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like there is definitely like a royal seat like in king's landing i don't have the name for that yet but exactly like who's who said that something you did is going to affect my life all that much
1: Mm -hmm. it's cool Mm -hmm. so they try to like exert some kind of control but like the average folk is like "Eh, okay (laughs) yeah
2: they care more about the person who's
1: ruling their territory it's yeah, like a, it doesn't affect their life that much. The house who controls their area. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've never seen Game of Thrones or House of Dragon, so I don't have any of these responses. <laughs> no, it's fine.
2: That's fine.
0: <laughs> Maybe like the uh the kind of like benevolent ages more or less of like the Greek Empire, where it's kind of like yeah, I pay taxes to somebody, and like I don't know, they I keep living my life, and like whoever I pay taxes to, it's the same guy in my neighborhood who he gives it to, uh-huh, but, yes. you know.
2: Yeah, it's very, it's definitely similar to that. Cool. I also think that, though, this, since there is a constant changing of royalty, people will do, will try to exert power in this way of making sure that they stay as royal for as long as possible before they get assassinated or or, some, or something happens. So I think that there's a lot of changeover, but also there's, like, big power struggles of trying to enforce, especially as you get closer and closer to the royal seat. If you are from the Crags, you get bonuses to charisma and strength. You get resistance to one type of elemental damage because it, where, wherever you grew up in your territory, you spent time next to a volcano, you get fire, elemental damage. Just explain that to me. And you are good at playing one game and you are very good at it. Uh, when you have downtime in the Kingdom of the Crags, you play your games and you play for keeps.
3: <laughs> Dang. Dang. <laughs>
2: So I think this can be cards. This could be some version of chess. This could be something something that everyone knows how to play. So this isn't like a regional thing. It's not like you walk up and being like, "We're playing big fish," and everyone throws you off the boat because no one knows knows how to play.
0: <laughs> I'm imagining a bunch of like people from the Kingdom of the Crags who meet, you know, when they're like in some envoy in some other land, and they decide to like hustle everybody a pool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, and fi- our fourth and final country is Overstock. Overstock's traditional motto is carry your roots. You know, you are in Overstock because of the vertical cities. This is like some solar punk, neo-futurist, idealist, quixotic world in that like they're doing something else from everyone else. This is where we're getting the spiritualism because they are investigating the sky and where the original water and planter came from Mm. is kind of the thing there is because they go skyward they get closer to the clouds and of course there's rain and snow and they are very fascinated by that as a country at large. I think that this is also a very philosophical place. Everything kind of revolves around this investigation of the of the world and the place in which uh, the green folk live, which also leads to the fact that they're incredibly mercantile, uh, while well, there's a lot of trading and merchants running around going from overstock everywhere else because they're so busy philosophizing, they just buy what they need. They're just <laughs> like, I'm doing stuff. You make money to deal with your needs so that you can go back to examining the questions of the universe. Gotcha. Overstock is actually a giant city state, uh stemming from the stacked city of Skyreach, uh, which is their capital. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen, outside of people who play Civilization 4, 5, or 6 a lot, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. <laughs> yeah. But imagine it's like the it's up and down, very green. Uh there's like this classical style. There are columns everywhere because again, it's like vines snaking up and down. It's not it's not a skyscraper. It's more just like stacked. Everything is is stacked and growing upwards. Maybe it's more like the, the Tower of Babel, mm. where people built it just to go high, mm. not to dominate the cityscape, but just to go up.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Love it. Interesting. They have a lot of representatives, uh, much like aldermen for those of you from Chicago, but it's more like you're, you have many mayors of your neighborhood or your outer town, and they form coalitions of government and parties, much like we see in parliaments across the world.
1: So they're democratic.
2: Yeah, they're de- they are a representative democratic. Yes, because they they're like I don't want to think about voting. You, I don't want to think about shit. You do it. Yeah. like being an alderman is like you're taking the burden of policy off of people, and it's very it is like thank you for doing this, so I don't have to, so I can think about and work on other things. Mm. Um, I'm I've,
0: picturing everybody as like an absent-minded professor who lives in this neighborhood. <laughs> 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 I love that.
2: Uh, yeah, very idealistic, very quixotic. But again, they're just chilling. I think they're they're probably the least like they cause the least amount of drama out of all the places. But that's because they're insular and they're thinking about other things. But I think that that then allows people who want to do bad to do bad because there is an oversight. People are off doing their own thing. So I think that there are, there's like a, there's a cultish element to some things when there are fragment groups who go off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like. Um, not terrorist organizations, but like a radical, like radical groups start doing stuff all over the
1: place. And it's like, sure, stop. You would expect that if people who are, yeah, who are like so philosophically minded, you know?
0: Yeah. Thinking all day with like time and income to do whatever they choose.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If you are from Overstock, you get bonuses to Dex and Con. You personally have confronted and are unafraid of one common fear. That can be drowning, that could be like getting snuck up up in the night, that could be death. And uh, I'll factor that into your bonuses as you you do that. This one's a little more amorphous because the mechanical benefit of Overstock is much more specific. So that's why this one is ambiguous. Because if you're from Overstock, you know how to fall. You've (laughs) probably fallen from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 stories before and are very fascinated and are okay with that and know how to deal with it. (laughs) So you have an ability... To whether you have this inherently, if you have wings or you're one of those like seedlings that are helicoptery, mm-hmm. uh, or you have big leaves, or you have some sort of mechanical way to protect you as you fall, because you have 10 feet of hover. Cool. Uh, you can only hover if you're going from a higher place to a lower place. This is more like a, a modified slow fall. You roll 1d6. For the number of rounds, you can fall, and uh, you can fall for, like, 30 seconds max, and that comes out to five rounds. If you roll a six, you get plus one to your next falling round next time, but Mm -hmm. you can only get five rounds of being able to hover. It's 10 feet, and you have to go from a high place to a lower place. You can only do it for 30 seconds, so you can't fall forever, because eventually Mm -hmm. it would be impossible. That's cool. Fair (laughs)
1: enough. You mean, like, 10 feet of hover, meaning, like, you can hover at 10 feet, or... 10 feet of of distance. Oh, like vertical, uh, horizontal distance. Horizontal distance
2: is 10 feet. However, because you can't go fast. However, when you're falling, you know, there's like a gravity. In Dungeons and Dragons, your falling speed has to do with like your ma- gravitational pull, blah, blah, blah. Because mm-hmm. you can also use this to reduce the amount of damage on a fall by half up to 50 feet. So, that can, that we can, uh, if you're not moving and you're just doing it not to get hurt, we can just do that mechanically. Cool. So, this is kind of like you always have a mini slow fall in your pocket. Cool, cool, cool. Kind of nice. And finally, even if you're not from the four countries, you can be unmoored. Unmoored is our version of variant human where you can do plus one to two uh, stats of your choice and defeat. Uh, this is the, what we did for all characters in campaign Two. But if you don't feel attached to any of these countries, you can always choose to be unmoored. But then we, I want to investigate why you don't you don't feel close to any country. Maybe you are pirate born. You've only only learned and lived in the tide. Uh, maybe you're an expatriate. We got to figure out what you care about and how does that fit in your feet. And um how do you feel about the other countries?
0: Cool. Eric, What if I'm really tied to all of them and also being unmoored? <laughs> What if I want to do everything?
2: I cannot give you all. You can only choose one tradition, unfortunately.
3: (laughs) But I want it. Gimme, gimme.
2: A quick summary, you can be from the Hothouse, which is about construction and ingenuity, whose traditional words are why suffer when we can strive. You can be from open fields, where you reap what is sown. You can be from the Kingdom of the Crags, where they cover all. Or you can be from Overstock and the great stacked city of Skyreach, where you carry your roots. Or you can be unmoored.
1: Ooh, Damn, so what many is th- choices. This might be something we explore in game, but... Is there sort of like patriotism to these places or are they just sort of like places that people are from?
2: That's a good question. I, You know, it's funny. I spent all this time making up countries and we're probably not going to spend any time in them specifically. <laughs> I think that you can decide your level of patriotism uh, and how, how tied you feel to certain places. I don't know about your PCs. You may or may not. It's definitely the variant of when why you're out there on the tide okay, is cool. important. But, yeah, your level of patriotism is allowed. Is allowed. I mean, some people really love being from the kingdom of the cracks because, again, it's not just about the government. It's like whether or not you believe in the principles that are from the place that you're from. And,
3: I mean, as you pointed out for Open Fields, they're doing revolutions all the time, baby. We chopping off our government's head all the time. <laughs> yeah. I can give
2: you plus and minuses from all the places about why someone may or may not like or really dislike being from this place. Um, but I, I don't think that has anything to do with your character's Um uh, Uh, level of patriotism.
0: No, it's like we all have to do, right? It's like, like you said, identify what we were raised to find valuable and then decide what we want to keep of that.
2: Absolutely. So, yeah, those are the changes we're making. Remember, we're doing traditions. We are doing species instead of race. Backgrounds are the same. And we're using classes from Valda's Spire of Secrets as created by Mage Hand Press. I want to tell you two things, two last things before we go about something I'm just adding to this campaign that I really want us all to start thinking about. Okay. The first is, remember what Amanda said she didn't want a home base? Sure,
0: sure, I mean, like, a home base is fine. I just don't need like a city to go home to. Sure. <laughs> so, so you remember when Amanda said that?
2: I think that the crew is already pulled together on your ship. Great. You, who, the PCs and the NPCs who are on the ship already all know each other because I want there to be a base-building element in this campaign.
0: Yay!
2: Fortnite! 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 No, not that base- I refuse in... to play Fortnite in my D&D. They don't even do that in Fortnite anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have played a lot of Cult of the Lamb lately, which is a really interesting indie game They basically smashed a lot of different types of genres together. There's like a base building element, and like there's Hades-style fighting, and it's like cartoonish, and there's some farming involved. But I think it's really interesting, and I think it's something that I really want to investigate in a a D&D campaign, of balancing going out on adventure, and then dealing with the pirate base you all have together. There's something about being out on the tide. There are tons of islands that people then turn into their homes, which they're only doing for the time being as they try to find the infinite lake and the salmon of knowledge. So I think that you you have to invest in your island as you go out and go do adventures and figure out what it is you want to do next and follow the riddles and the mysteries that is finding the infinite lake.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
2: I would love it if there was a base building adventure. I would love to do a world building game where we build out our island yeah, and the things yeah, that yeah, you want to yeah. have to start with at the beginning of this campaign as you start pursuing things that you're interested in. For those of you who have played these games before, whether it's Stardew Valley or Animal Crossing or another game that has a base involved, you know, like there's going to be like a skill tree that you're going to put XP in it that happens either over time or if, if you're pursuing something particular. There's gonna be like people living on your island that aren't part of your crew who do stuff on the island. there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of that stuff. And I'm very interested in it. I feel like every time you go on an adventure, you'll get like one XP boost that you can do to either like build a new building or soup up a building or further a thing. Like really adding a base building element, and we can like do that in our downtime episodes, like you tending to tending to the village as you try to do, like your regular people things that isn't like explicitly on adventures so maybe like arcs might be shorter uh, because you go out and you go do something and then you go do something else like I, I it might be more like chapters in a story instead of like nine ten episode arcs maybe they'll be shorter maybe they'll be longer we'll, we'll figure it out as you all pursue your adventure and as you leave the island maybe you'll even have to move your island Uh-oh. to a different island and start over because it's closer to where you think the infinite lake is there, there's really very large possibilities everywhere
3: But I already love my island. I don't want to move it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone, you'll move it together. It'll be a big thing. Everyone does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and finally because I want to make this as easy as possible in terms of currency I think that there will still be like gold balloons and everything did you all watch John Wick how there was like assassin currency mm-hmm. yeah like those specific assassin currency I would love it if there was some sort of currency that only exists through pirates that you do in exchange for favors and more of it is big favors so there is a currency called amber Which are crystallized pieces of amber the size of your fist. Yeah. That you can use to trade in for a favor from someone else. Or you can use it to trade it in as like another XP bonus. You give it to someone who will then trade it and then boost something.
3: Oh, that's cool. Like you'll get an
2: XP bonus just for doing stuff, but you can turn in amber everywhere there is a limited number of amber throughout the tide people have it you can look for it as you do adventures and you go other places you're pirates to steal some shit like there's plenty there's amber everywhere and also maybe someone might offer you amber to do something in exchange uh so we have this extra currency i know we've always been like mushy on how we deal with gold or or dollars because i don't super care about that this is an (laughs) oregon trail but i do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I think that Amber might make it more interesting as a piece of, as a, a tradable thing that yeah, you yeah. want to pursue and might distract you and your mission, whatever you end up doing as you try to find some stuff. Love Eric, Hell would yeah. you
0: say that our party is on the Amber standard?
1: <laughs> <sighs> Eric, uh. I'm going to do this once so it's out of my system. It's the color of my energy. All right, we're done. Never make that joke ever again. <laughs>
3: Anymore. So good. Whoa. We're good. Ever
1: is
2: the color of your energy. No, Brandon. Wow. Brandon, keep doing that. Please. <laughs> I entreat you to keep doing it.
0: God, I can't wait.
2: So, yeah, that's, that's everything that we're doing. This is Verta Stello, the Great Ringed Land. I'm very excited for all of us to get into it. Again, everything that I've said here, uh, I can write up into a document. is going to be linked in the episode description below. I'm also talking to Mage Hand Press. So hopefully when we figure out our classes next week, everyone will be on the same page, including listeners, about what classes and subclasses we're choosing from Valda's Spire of Secrets.
1: Whee! Yes!
0: Oh, God, it's going to be so hard to choose. I can't wait. Oh, I already picked, baby. We're here.
3: This solidified exactly what I was thinking about, and I'm just like, just kiss, kiss.
2: Julia, can I give you one amber for you to tell it to me early?
3: I will take it. I'm writing it down. One amber for later. No, no, no. I don't want to give you a, No,
2: I don't want to. But you
3: promise? No, I
2: was making a joke. I'm sorry. No. What do you think? Is this good? Is this what you wanted? Yeah. Yay. It's good. Good. Hell yeah, dog. Thank you,
3: Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Amber, Daddy please. Podcast. No, I'm not giving you all. Amber, no, please. Amber please. Amber, all podcast. Amber, please. No, no more jokins, only Amber. No.
0: What's the joke to Amber ratio? It's like 10 jokins to one Amber. I don't know. If no, I make enough to... jokes on the podcast, will Eric give me Amber? Oh, yeah.
2: God. Yeah, instead of inspiration, I'm giving you jokins. Yeah. Good jokes okay. and it them. It's five jokins for one piece of Amber. All right. good Oh, God.
0: Eric, I know I, for one, cannot wait to explore Verta Stello even more. So, folks, stay tuned for next week when we are going to talk all about our characters and classes. We'll see you then.
1: Hey, Amanda, would you say it's time to sail away?
0: Sail, away sail, sail away! sail away! <laughs>
3: <laughs> Amanda and I went different sail away songs, and I love that for us. <laughs>
0: sail on down the road about a half a mile or so. Try to make you stay but. I- <laughs> Da-na-na-na. Bye,
2: guys. Our the, band, the weatherman, comes running around fun and, <laughs> and rum.
3: Bye. Say well and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Say well and adieu, you ladies from Spain. I'm going to stop recording now.